So open your Bible to the book of Acts. We're in chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the back for you in the sound booth. Just grab one. I'm reading from the ESV. We're in Acts chapter 15. Luke, the author of the gospel according to Luke, is the author of the book of Acts. One collection of writing, two volumes. The gospel is an eyewitness account. It's really an, an, invest, an investigative record of what Jesus did, what Jesus said. That's what Luke is recording for us in his gospel. And the book of Acts is the continuing work of Jesus. What Jesus did while he was on earth, Acts is what Jesus continues to do through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was sent upon the church to empower the church to be witnesses, to be heralders. I don't want you ever to miss that. The Spirit of God was given to the people of God, to the church of God, so that they can be witnesses and heralders, proclaimers of the perfect life that Jesus lived, the atoning death of Jesus, and the resurrection from the grave of Jesus. The church gave birth in Jerusalem, day of Pentecost. God's people were baptized with the Spirit. And the church has been growing and expanding through missional living and and preaching and declaring the gospel. We call missional living, we talk about missional living as as gospelizing, sharing the gospel, everyday conversations, linking life with other people, showing them and pointing them to Jesus through declaring the gospel with words and with deeds. Both are important. Of course, no one comes to faith without words, but when they see how much you care, they'll listen about Christ. And then the apostles preaching the gospel, declaring the gospel, boldly the word of God, many are coming to faith in Christ. The gospel began to spread from Jerusalem to Judea, outwardly to Samaria, to the other parts of Galilee, and then as far as North Africa, Asia Minor, in a city called Uh, Antioch in Syria we've noticed as we look through the book that each people group the Jews the Samaritans who were half Jews the God-fearing Gentiles those that were on the fringe of Judaism and then the Gentiles the the polytheistic Gentiles the ones had nothing to do with Judaism all of them received the gift of the spirit when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ God made it evident by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on each people group, this, this little mini Pentecost, four times, as uh, kind of linking back to the very first day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, three more times these different people groups filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and kind of showing the people of God that they too are connected. There's a continuum. There's, there's the, the work. There's the, the connection between those Mini Pentecost and the original Pentecost showing that God shows no partiality. That the gospel is to go forth with all people groups. That it it was God's design or God's sign that through Christ all people, nations, tongues, and tribes are to be accepted as full members of the Christian community. Now as great and glorious as that good news is, as great and glorious as that good news is, it caused a great deal of dissension in the church. You're thinking, probably, 2014, Glenmont, Albany. All right, so the gospel goes out to everybody. Well, that makes sense. But in that day, in that day, there was a contingency of Jewish believers who, after seeing some Gentiles come to faith, uh, they were troubled. They were, they, they, were, they were maybe angry, I don't know. They were troubled. That the Jewish people who had adopted this, this proselytic program, this way of becoming saved, the Gentiles had to be circumcised, the Gentiles had to obey the Mosaic law in order to come into Judaism. And now Christ has come, blew that door wide open, and some Jews were like, you know what, Let, let's keep the methods that we've been doing for generations and centuries, and let's make the Gentiles who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ go through the same program as we've always done with those who are Gentiles, non-Jews, and let's make sure they get circumcised. Let's make sure they follow the law of Moses. Chapter 15, verse 2 says, this caused no small dissension. Judaizers, people from, from Jerusalem had gone to Antioch teaching you, you can't be saved unless you follow the law of Moses. You can't be saved unless you follow the rituals of circumcision, covenantal sign. Paul and Barnabas were not having it. 
Over the past two weeks, we looked at chapter 15, and we saw how this first Jewish council dealt with the issue. So you had people from Jerusalem go to Antioch, say you must follow these laws in order to be saved. It caused great dissension. So Paul and Barnabas, along with others, went down to Jerusalem to say, hey, we need to talk about this. That's in chapter 15. And the decision of the council was pretty simple. One, no one needs to go through any ritual, any method, any uh, um, rite or any law or do any works in order to be saved. They said that we're not going to add the yoke of the law upon others that we ourselves cannot carry. We came to faith in Christ and salvation through faith alone because we don't live by the law either. Why are we going to make others do that? So they sent the letter. And in that letter, they said there are four things that the Gentiles need not to do. They weren't adding law to grace. They were just saying these things the Gentiles would do well to abstain from. We said the heart of the issue was idolatry. Idolatry, of course, should be avoided by all people, right? We have been, God's people has been delivered from, from, from the worship of false idols. We've been redeemed, we've been rescued to serve and worship the living, true God. We turn our back on idols and we worship the one true God. But because two cultures were colliding in the church, Jew and Gentiles, the Gentiles were asked to abstain from certain cultural expressions that would be offensive to the Jewish brothers, stuff that would or could be tied to idol worship. And after the council made this decision in Jerusalem, they said to Paul and Barnabas, here's the letter. They sent Judas and Silas, not the Judas that hung himself, another Judas and, and Silas who was leaders in Jerusalem, Two men from Jerusalem, two men from Antioch. Council has agreed, and they sent these four men back to Antioch and to the other churches in the area to deliver their decision. The letter was received with joy and great encouragement, double joy for the men who did not need to be circumcised, and that is where we pick up in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. And after some days... Acts chapter 15, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Seems right. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Verse 38, but Paul thought best not to take them, the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had gone with them to do the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, sailed to Cyprus, verse 40, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went, that's Paul and Silas, went through the Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I can't help but see this outline, similar to the outline we already looked at. This is what we're going to look under. Three headings. The dilemma, the disagreement, and the decision. We could have said, like we did two weeks ago, the dilemma, the dissension, the decision. But these, the, this story, this narrative is coming off the Jerusalem Council where we saw the dilemma. Jews wanted Gentiles to be Jews, to be saved. We saw the dissension that it caused. We saw the decision of the letter and we kind of see the same thing flowing in our text this morning. So the dilemma, the disagreement, and the decision. Now, if you lived longer than two weeks, you've dealt with conflict, right? If we're honest, if you're breathing, you have, you will have, you've been in, you're just coming out of some sort of disagreement or conflict. Like the woman who went to her pastor who was handing out small wooden crosses to the married couples in the church after a sermon on, on marriage. And he said, place these crosses in the room in which you fight the most and you will be reminded of the gospel. God's command to love. And maybe, hopefully, you won't argue as much. And when the wife went up to him and said, give me five. <laughs> Conflict is inevitable. In fact, if you're a Christian and you have never been in a conflict or disagreement with another Christian, then you just got converted about two minutes ago, okay? Well, maybe 
you're a lone ranger. You really don't get into relationships with others. And you won't live life together. Then you can say, you know what? I've never been involved with a disagreement or conflict with a Christian because I don't talk to any. Maybe. Maybe you're a lone ranger. I don't know. That's not a good thing. I don't mean it by any way. But conflict in and of itself is not a bad thing. The real question is, what are we going to do with our disagreements? What are we going to do with our conflicts? It can be dealt with constructively, with positive results, enhancing intimacy, strengthening relationships, clarifying issues, or it could be handled destructively by the expression of sin, sinful behaviors like gossip, like selfishness, bitterness. In fact, I believe in the good providence of God and the working of God that conflict is a major player in our sanctification. In other words, dealing with conflict in a way that is constructive, not destructive, will help us grow to be more like Christ. As we shall see, if handled correctly, not only will we be more like Christ, but the mission of God, the work of God, the, 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 the salvation of, of sinners, the message of the gospel can flourish. And just like our text here, conflict comes, and many of you know this, after great spiritual victories, baptisms, retreats, glorious weekends of spiritual nourishment. Jesus goes up to the mountain and prays and comes down and everyone's all over him. I tell people all the time, I walk with Christ not a long time, but long enough. Coming back from retreats, after baptisms, be watchful. Because sometimes the down is down and the low is low. Here, the council makes a decision over joy in the church. Everyone is encouraged and strengthened. The gospel is going out. It's all about faith. And then we see major conflict. The dilemma. Verse 36. Let me, do a, let me do a short little biography of these two men, all right? Like a boxing match. Let's get ready to rumble. See that? In this corner, weighing 350, white turban, white cloak, brown sandals, Barnabas. In that corner, Barnabas. We read about Barnabas chapter 4. We hear in chapter 4 that all the disciples had one heart together. They were, they were worshiping together. They were one mind of one, one soul. No one had anything they said that was their own. That it held everything in common. They were selling property and bringing the proceeds to the apostles' feet to distribute to those who were in need, the poor and the needy. It says in chapter 4, verse 36, Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we know that Barnabas was from the tribe of Levites, which came the priests. Many of them had money. They were financially secure. They were very educated. But we know from this text that he was a generous man. He was a generous man. He cared about others. He met others' needs. He, he cared less about himself and looked to make sure everybody was okay. Acts 11 says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. We also know that he was true to his namesake, son of encouragement. He was a man of encouragement. It was Barnabas who had gone to Paul to listen to his testimony. Tell me what happened to you. You were murdering Christians. Nobody wants to come near you. They're scared to death that you're going to pull out a gun and shoot them. You tell me what's going on. And Paul talks to him, and, 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 it's, and it's Barnabas who encourages him and brings him along so he can meet other people and other Christians, leaders in Jerusalem, and say, look, man, give Paul a chance. I heard his testimony. It was Barnabas who was in Antioch and, and saw this church exploding among the Gentiles. And, and like, we need to build a team. We, I can't do this alone. Let's go get Paul. He's in Tarsus. Let's get him. He'll help. And, and, and Barnabas goes and finds Paul, brings him back to Antioch, and, and a team building takes place. I picture him, this is only me, this is not the Bible, this is me. I picture him a big guy, I don't know why, a burly man though, giant hands, giant smile, always speaks to you with a tender heart, takes that hand, shakes it, you know, smiles at you, caring eyes. 
That's Barnabas. Generous, kind encourager. But in the other corner, we have Paul. 120 pounds. Wearing a white turban, a white cloak, and brown shoes. They all seem to dress alike. The fiery Paul, who according to antiquity, someone wrote, he's short in stature, very little hair, crooked in the leg, and eyebrows that joined together, and his nose was somewhat hooked. That's what someone wrote about Paul. A religious fanatic and a terrorist who dragged people off while he was a Pharisee from their houses, both men and women, and had them killed. He, he was, he was, a, a, was, he was a, a terrorist who then was knocked off his horse because, like me, I need to be knocked off my horse at times. And then Jesus comes to him, and then after his conversion, we still see this straight shooter. Tell it like it is, Paul. He writes A, B, C, D. Read Romans. It, it's logical. John, he does a spiral. He kind of is not, not Paul. Straight shooter. Guy walks into any circumstance, he's not afraid. I'm preaching Christ. He's a tough guy. Who went into the cities proclaiming Christ, gets beat up, gets stoned, not, again, smoking a bowl. I mean, literally rocks upon his head, okay? And dragged out for dead and gets back up, wipes himself off, and goes back into the city. Wonder why he had crooked legs and a busted nose. Like, of course he did. Some folks in Corinth said that his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily, bodily appearance, eh, kind of weak. God brings this dynamic duo together, man, to not only strengthen and encourage many people, but the two of them were like key leaders in the building of this Antioch church, which became this beachhead of three great global missionary journeys. If there's ever a situation where men become close and there's certain camaraderie that is built over time is during times of trouble, stress, danger, and persecution. Some of you served in the armed forces. And you know what? When you got each other's back, when it's life or death, literally, there seems to be a joining together. There seems to be a camaraderie during times of difficulty. That's where deep relationships are formed. Many of you know I've worked in correctional facilities. There was some years that it was very dangerous, a lot going on. Guys that I counted on, they counted on me. There's, there's a certain connection. There's a certain connection. Paul and Barnabas lived together. Paul and Barnabas lived together, ate together, walked together, ministered together, fought together, went into enemy territory together. On the first missionary journey, not only did they fight against demonic forces together, and religious fanatics together who opposed the gospel. Again, they wanted to kill him. They, they dragged him out of the city. And when Paul dusted himself off, he went back into the city with Barnabas. These two men traveled hundreds of miles together. I'm trying to set a picture for you. Not by comfortable minivan, but on foot through many dangerous cities and many dangerous and difficult terrains. I think we can confidently say that Barnabas, the man of encouragement, and Paul, the ex-terrorist, was a dynamic team. Captain Kirk and Spock. Butch Cassidy and Sundance, right? Ben and Jerry. <laughs> Lone Ranger, Tonto. Like, they, they, were, they were a team, man. They complemented one another and balanced each other's strengths and weaknesses. But in chapter 15, things change. Here's the backstory. We read in chapter 13 that Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey took with them a man. His name was John Mark. We read about him first in chapter 14. Uh, he was in Jerusalem. His mother was Mary. Mary's home is where all the disciples gathered together to pray for Peter when he was in prison. They were in Mary's home, so it was a rather larger home probably. And they were all praying for Peter to get out of prison. This was at Mary's house. John Mark is her son. And then after Peter is released and, and flees Jerusalem, the Bible says that John Mark left Jerusalem and went with Paul and Barnabas to Antioch. Paul and Barnabas get ready on their first missionary journey, chapters 13 and 14, and take John Mark with them. But we read in chapter 13, verse 13, that Paul and Barnabas, when they came to Perga and Pamphylia, John Mark, or John, 
left them and returned to Jerusalem. So they were on their journey. They just started their trip after a couple of months, or I don't know how long it was, but shortly after. And John goes, I'm done. I'm going back. That's the backstory, verse 36. But after some time, that's after the Jerusalem council, Paul and Barnabas were back in Antioch after the council. Paul says to Barnabas, hey, I got an idea. Let us return. Let's go back to the brothers in every city where we were and proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Let's go back. Let me just say this just as a side note. Paul does not plant churches and and bring people to faith in Christ and then say you're on your own. Have a good day. This follow-through, this follow-up, there's discipleship. Disciples making disciples who make disciples. There's living life together. There's instruction in the word. There's, there's hammering out situations in your home, raising children, getting new jobs, moving in different places. Together, working together. Paul does not leave them to their own, but continues the work of the ministry of Christ. Follow-through is important. Whether you led someone who's nine. Nine years old or 90 years old, follow-through is necessary. It's part of the gospel. Jesus said, make disciples, baptize them, and then don't ever see them again. That's what he said. Baptize them and then teach them to obey everything I've said. Right? So we see that. And they were glad to do so. They were glad to do so. And you know what? You follow up on somebody. You, you, let me tell you, if you're here this morning and you teach children church, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but let me just say, if you can make a connection with your children or, or they're, they're expressing faith, even though you're not maybe teaching them that Sunday, stay connected. Those kids would love to hear from you. They would love to hear from you. What a great encouragement to the kids. Did that go down? Okay. Chapter 13. Uh, excuse me. Chapter 15, verse 37. Now, they were glad to. So now Barnabas said, you know what? This is a good idea. Let's do it. Wanted to take with them John Mark. John called Mark, verse 37. 38, but Paul thought it best not to take with one, them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. I just want to ch- change my hair. Okay, in Pamphylia. Had not gone with them to work. So here's the story. Barnum's like, you know, that's a great idea. John, come on, let's go. We're going. Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> he was not with us before. I, I, I don't think... That someone who deserted us while we were busy doing our thing should come with us again. I, I, I don't want to take them. I think it's important to realize and to recognize right here today that it's not about, it's not about, I'm trying to get this here, okay, continue. It's not about theology. It's not gospel-centered. It's not the important essentials that are, that are important to salvation. This, this disagreement is not central to the essentials of Christ. It's not even a moral issue. I want John Mark to come. I don't. The dilemma that Paul and Barnabas faced had to do with different opinions, different perspective, different methods on how things ought to be done. Conflicts are not necessarily about sin. Many of the differences aren't inherently right or wrong. They are simply the result of God-given diversity, perspectives, and personal preferences. And you know that to be true. Conflicts many times are when opinions, opinions and purposes are frustrated, goals and desires are not met, and there's dissension, right? Where should we go on vacation? What color? Do we, do, we, do we paint the walls? Simple things. And then major things. Does mom and dad go to the nursing home? Do we uproot the family? Can cause dissension. Maybe it's unrealistic expectations or, or different priorities. This is really important to me. This really is not that important to me. I, I really need to be on time because I hate to be late. My family has heard that a million times. Unfortunately for me, there's five women in my house. <laughs> Frustration, dilemma. We come and we have disagreements. 
but not in every case is it sinful. But if you're involved in a church, if you're involved in ministry, and growing in your relationship with others, there will inevitably, inevitably be disagreements and conflict. Sometimes it's the most experienced Christians, the most godliest of men and women, and the most passionate about Christ who get into conflict. Some of the greatest church leaders were men who had conflict. Martin Luther, he writes this of himself. I am rough, boisterous, stormy, and altogether warlike fighting against innumerable monsters and devils. I am born with the removing of stumps and stones, cutting away thistles and thorns, and clearing wild forests. Sober, sober assessment. Paul and Barnabas, this dynamic duo, had very different ideas about who should come along on this journey. Both men were strong in their convictions, and neither of them were willing to to, to change their perspective. Neither of them were willing to change their method, change their opinions on how things ought to be done. And it led to a major disagreement. Verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they were separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. This is not just a minor disagreement. We just don't see eye to eye. The term sharp disagreement in the Greek is the word paroxysmos, where we get the English word paroxysm, which means a sudden and violent expression. It's used negatively for anger, irritation, exasperation. It's used in Acts 17.6, Paul was provoked when he saw the idols and was outraged, he was annoyed, it was, it was burned with anger within him. It's used positively in Hebrews 12, 24, which, which talks about stimulating one another up for good works. It's an intense emotion. It's an intense altercation. You know what this looks like, right? The ears start getting red. The eyes start opening up. Smoke starts coming out. Face expression. You don't, even have to, you, don't have, you don't even have to be in the area. You could just see through the window. He's not happy right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're laughing because it's happened. That's why you're laughing. And the smoke is starting to get, you know, it, it, it's not going well. Voices start to get louder. There's ag- ag- agitation. Most commentators, though, if you read on this passage, they'll try to tell you who's right or who's wrong. And, that, and, and a slight edge goes to, to Paul. That's what I do. Who's right, who's wrong? Because it says that they were commended by the brethren and were sent off to the missionary journey. But I don't think the scriptures really teach that completely. I, I don't think it says who's right and who's wrong. But you can understand how Barnabas must feel, could you not? He wanted to take John Mark. In fact, If I were to ask you, and I'm not, but if I were, to say who is right and who is wrong, it would tell me a lot about you. If you are like Barnabas, like, man, give the guy a chance, will you? You know, I know he failed. I know he didn't do a great job. You know, give the kid a second chance. Everyone fails now and again. Paul, listen, we gave you a chance. Nobody wanted to talk to you. Nobody even wanted to minister with you. But we gave you a second chance. Come on. Can't you just give this guy another chance? You know, we trusted you. Nobody else would. Do do the right thing. Give the guy another chance. But if you're like Paul, that's your personality. Like, look, the kid had a chance. I need someone who's standing by me. I, I, listen, I'm going into ter- enemy territory. You know, I'm getting knocked upside the head. I'm getting dragged out of the cities. I'm not looking. I don't, not, I don't have no time to take somebody along that I got to kind of hold his hand in this, in this fight, in this battle. Now, one of those two kind of resonated with you. Could it be that they were both right? Paul, this rugged pioneer, venturing into enemy territory, Needs somebody on his team. Needs someone to, that's going to stand by him, not run to mommy when the going gets tough in the heat of the battle. Paul thought Mark was immature. He was unreliable. Maybe he got scared or homesick. Knowing Paul's personality, he needed someone that, that he needed someone to stand by him, a committed warrior 
who would, who would look in the face of hardship and difficulties and stand firm. Mark had not proven himself that way. Barnabas was right, though. He looked at Mark, he, he, Barnabas looked at John Mark and said, there's some undeveloped potential in this guy. He wanted to extend the grace of God to this young man in spite of his earlier mistakes and deserting them. I mean, he was the son of encouragement. According to Scripture, John Mark was also Barnabas's cousin. That adds a little dynamic to it. My cousin. Give the guy a chance. Right? Give the guy a chance. I think maybe it's possible that both Paul and Barnabas were right to do what they did. In fact, they would have denied their convictions and calling to do what the other felt compelled to do. If they just said, yes, I'll go with your way, or yes, I'll go with your way, maybe they weren't going to be strong. Maybe, maybe they didn't or failed to stand on their own convictions. The difference between these giants of faith, I don't think, were rooted in pride or personal ambition or offending feelings. The difference was rooted in spiritual gifts outlooks and callings and perspectives it wasn't about theology it was it was about personality it wasn't a clash over practical matters it was a method it was a clash uh, it was a clash over practical matters and a method of ministry not theology whether to take mark or not both men had a heart for the churches i believe but you know what happens i i think sometimes and i think you can relate to this i think sometimes our strengths bring with it some blind spots that we may not see. Our strengths sometimes, uh, sometimes brings blind spots that we may not see, cause us not to see them. Paul's strength was unyielding. He was, he was a man of conviction. He, he was committed. He, he stood strong at, no matter what the cost was. He publicly confronted Peter when he needed to be confronted. He was beat up, thrown in jail, stoned, dragged out. He proclaimed the gospel. Could it be that Paul's weaknesses... One of Paul's weaknesses was his inability to extend grace, something he had to learn, which I think he did later on. To extend grace, to, to, to be able to say, okay, we'll give you another chance. Maybe it's hard for Paul to accept weaker people like Mark, who had potential but just wasn't there yet. Barnabas' strength was to encourage to, to bring people along, to look beside just what's going on and see something else developing. He was a champion of the outsider, of the castaway. He knew how to show grace to those who have fallen and have messed up their lives. But maybe one of his weaknesses, he would err on the side of showing too much grace and not be able to do some confrontation in love and be able to speak to sinful behaviors and speak and confront in love. Paul said it in Galatians 2. Even Barnabas was carried away with the hypocrisy of Peter and the other Jews who withdrew from eating with the Gentile Christians out of fear of offending the Judaizers. Maybe that was his weakness. So the principle is we should know ourselves. We should know our giftedness. We should know our strengths. And we should exercise the strengths to the glory of God. But we also have to be careful because your strengths may lead you not to respond in a way that ought, you ought to, and not to hear good godly counsel. A man who is strong in his convictions is a good thing, but it can lead to judgmental attitudes and self-righteousness. A man who is strong in accepting others can easily err in tolerating sin and doctrinal issues. Some of you are like that. I know I am. I err on one side or the other. Some of you are afraid to talk in love, the truth, because you just want to just show grace. And you can't stand up and say, this isn't right. You need to get this right in your life. And some of us, get this right. I got no time for you. Do you do it the way it's supposed to be done? It's a balance. We need grace and truth. Could it also be, as we move to our next point, think about it this way. Maybe John Mark needed... Maybe John Mark needed to feel and sense and see the rejection of Paul in order for him to take a look into his life, to take a look into his heart and see he needs to take responsibility. And maybe he needed Barnabas to come alongside and encourage him, to encourage him, 
to invest his life in him even though he failed? Could it be that Paul's negative response combined with Barnabas' positive actions served Mark well? I think so. Decision. Verse 39. There arose a sharp disagreement. They separated. Barnabas took Mark, sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia and strengthened the churches. So although Paul and Barnabas separate, God used it for his glory and his mission. Some conflicts are redeemable. Not all of them are. Some of you have been around a while, have been Christians, and there are just some relationships that have separated, and that's the end of it. Never quite where it used to be. It's, just, it's sad, but it's part of the broken world in which we live. We know that. But let me say this as we look at what happened, the separation between Paul and Barnabas. We'll talk a little about it, but let me say three quick things. Number one, sometimes in ministry it is time to separate. We'll see that. But this is not the same as the marriage covenant. Marriage is a unique relationship, a holy vow, very different than a business partnership, same ministry team, or even the devotion or the, 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 the close-knit church membership. Marriage is a promise and a covenant till death do you part. If you're married and there's conflict and you can't seem to work through that conflict, guys, take the leadership, call someone, work it out, get some help. So you don't hear me saying, well, if you're in marriage and there's some conflict, at times you just go your separate ways. That is not what I'm saying. Number two, we should not be so quick to make decisions to separate. So don't hear me say, I've been working out this conflict with my brother. I've been working out this conflict with my mother. I've been working out this conflict with my close friend. For three minutes now, I'm done. Romans 12, live in harmony with everyone, with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Sometimes you deal with antagonists and those who, who div- are divisive and it's almost impossible to work things out. I get that, but as far as you live at peace, your responsibility. Number three, although we jump, we should not jump to conclusions, we should not go our separate ways. Sometimes, folks, sometimes, sometimes we see things differently and it's time depart we simply agree to disagree we don't keep fighting we don't keep hashing it out we don't keep banging our heads against the wall we must affirm each other in love with you know pointing out our strengths noticing that god gives us different gifts the hand has no right to tell the foot you're not needed the foot has no right to tell the hand you're not needed first corinthians 12 but there are times where two people having spent so much time trying to iron things out that time is a wasting and it's time to move on and it's time to get back in the things of the lord in the spirit of mutual respect and affirmation but god does and can Turn that conflict. Turn that disagreement. If you're willing to follow his leading and remember to walk in his ways, he can redeem it. I must admit, it's easy to read this and see what took place and the expansion of the kingdom and the advancement of the gospel and say, well, God worked it out for the good. But, and that's true. But don't tell me it didn't hurt Paul. Not after that camaraderie. Don't tell me it didn't hurt Barnabas. Don't tell me that there weren't some feelings and issues and struggles in their life through this separation. I don't believe that. The dynamic duo had broken up. Sometimes, yes, it's the best solution, but it's never easy. So I don't want to take away from the hurt and the frustrations and the pain that conflict and, and disagreements cause, but we serve a sovereign God, a good God, who causes all things work together for the good, for those who love him, those who are called according to his purposes, particularly the gospel. When the dust settles, we see the conflict of Paul and Barnabas and their decision to part separate ways created two separate different mission 
trips. Barnabas took John Mark, went to Cyprus where his home was. Paul took Silas with him and went out to Asia Minor. The decision allowed the advancement of the gospel to continue, but in a way that recognized the need for distinctive ministries. Paul, under God's good providence, was wise. He chose Silas, a man who came from the Jerusalem church, remember? So when Paul and Silas went out on the second missionary journey with the letter and telling what had happened, Silas represented Jerusalem, Paul represented the Gentiles in Antioch, and they would have had a much better listening than if it was just Paul and Barnabas. Silas was also a Roman citizen like Paul. So when they're dealing with, with, with Roman citizenship or they deal with Roman jurisdiction, it was good to have Silas. It looks like Silas, Silas was a better suited person for Paul on his second journey. And God had orchestrated this, this separation, this going in separate ways in, 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 a, in an odd way, maybe, in, in a difficult way, but Many people were encouraged and strengthened. In fact, the second missionary journey, more people came to faith, the greater the gospel went out, and the advancement of the kingdom of God. Paul, on the second trip, went to Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, and Ephesus. Sometimes we don't see the good that comes out of our disagreements that cause us to go our separate ways. But sometimes, and if you're like me again, this is very personal, I'm hard-headed. So when God brings frustration and when God brings me through a place of, of disagreement, of, of not seeing it a certain way, and, I, and I'm committed to something, it's hard for me to stop being committed to something once I am. That's my nature. Until God frustrates me to the point of dropping me and just, I, I, I give up. It was God all along trying to change me. I'll share just a quick story. When this church plant got started here at King's Chapel, I was involved in 95, 96, 97, and then when Ed Marcel came in, things began to change. And there was a disagreement. I went my way. Ed went his way. Church got planted. God got glory. I went about my business. Three years later, we reconnected. Ministry together. Absolutely loved the man. He discipled me. He's helped me. We meet monthly even to this day. To God be the glory. It was just, it was just God was moving me on. And then God brought me back. Let me say this to you. If you're here this morning... If you're frustrated, if, if, if God has brought some disagreements, frustrated your plans, uh, I was just discouraged. It could be God's moving you on. But keep on serving Christ wherever you are. Paul and Barnabas did not go, you know what, let's take a hiatus for about five years, try to figure this out, and then we'll come back and serve Christ. No, they went on serving the Lord. They didn't take a time out. They, I've seen some get discouraged, especially newly Christians who see Christians getting you know, in disagreements and they just say, well, what, why bother? That's what it's all about. You know what? Life happens. Conflict happens. Don't be discouraged. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't say why bother and give it all up. It's important to learn how to deal with differences, how to deal with different methods and personalities and perspective so that the enemy doesn't come in and derail us from the gospel proclamation. God can redeem conflicts if we're willing to yield to his leading and remember to walk in his ways. Now, I'm going to read a couple of passages of scripture before we close. Listen, Paul himself would later say to the Colossian church about John Mark. He says in Colossians 4, Aristarchus, another man, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. In his final imprisonment, Paul told Timothy, Luke is with me, get Mark and bring him with you. He is very useful to me for the ministry. In Philemon it says, Epaphras, a fellow prisoner of Jesus Christ, sends you greeting, and so does Mark. And so does Mark, who's with me. And Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. So as we consider what happened between Paul and Marnus, we do not see Paul going around to the different churches, strengthening the churches, and telling everybody how Paul, wrong Barnabas was. We don't see that in Scripture. Rather, he went around just strengthening the church. And, you know, there's a big difference between agreeing to disagree and, and disbanding this, the ministry and going our separate ways than having a friendship turning sour, developing into bitterness and personal animosity. There's no indication in the New Testament that indicated Paul and Barnabas had lost respect and love for each other. No sign of bitterness and alienation. It was just they were about time. It was over. 
The ministry had come to a close. They disagreed on how they moved forward, and they had their disagreement and moved on without bitterness. Paul respected Barnabas so much that he said in 1 Corinthians, in, in comparing their ministries, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? In other words, we're both in ministry, we're both doing what we're called to do, don't we have the right to take someone with us? So we see that. There are many issues where Christians, godly Christians who committed to Scripture disagree. We must be charitable in those areas. It would have been unhealthy for Paul and Barnabas to say, you know what, you're going to go your way, I'm going to go my way? All right, you go over there, I'll go over there. And then all of you have to make a decision. You following him, you following him. That's not what they did. They left and went two separate ways, no competition. It wasn't about pride and who was going to win. It was about the declaration of the gospel. Differences of opinion, differences of perspective. It's time to move on. It's time to move on. They continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Paul went one way, Silas went, and Silas went the other way. And you know what? They went strengthening the churches. So we should follow biblical principles, but we must be open to methods. Methods change. We're charitable to those, charitable to those. And when we don't have the same methods as they do, we face differences, but we be, be careful because what tendency happens is we want to push our personal preferences. It's good to have them, but not to elevate them to the point of doctrinal issues. And where you hurt one another. When there's differences, we need to be diligent to guard the unity of the peace. Unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Let me give you three things. You can jot them down. I won't elaborate too much. Three practical things I want you to walk away with from dealing with conflict, okay? Just three things. Number one. All right, let me try that one more time. Okay, number one. First thing you do when you're dealing with conflict, number one, is prioritize. That means to look up. Remember to glorify God. When you get into a conflict, you get a disagreement, the first thing you ought to do, instead of looking out, instead of pointing fingers, look up. Conflict has been given to us as, as good stewards to, to use conflict for the glory of Christ. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. That includes conflicts. Not just your kids, not just your car, not just your work, not just the things that God has given you, the talents and treasures. I believe God has given you, by his hand, conflict so that you can take that conflict and show the world how great, awesome, wonderful, and how much you trust him. Prioritize. You gotta Prioritize. God gives us conflict. God ordains conflict. Tailored for you to show his glory to the world. Resolving conflict in the gospel. Loving, forgiving, having mercy and grace is a great way and a powerful way to proclaim to the world how great and glorious our God is and how much you love and serve him. Okay? So it gives us an opportunity to obey, to serve, to bring him glory. Conflict. So prioritize. First thing, look up. Remember the glory of God. Number two, analyze. Look in. Take the log out of your own eye. Maybe the conflict is due to sin, or maybe the conflict, maybe not due to sin, but you acted foolishly. So before you want to take the speck out of your brother or your sister's eye, take that giant telephone pole out of yours. Okay? Analyze. Look in. Take the log out. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> remember, remember this. In conflict, prioritize glory, God, too. It's about the gospel. And it's also about changing you in the gospel. Repenting of your sins, walking humbly, acknowledging your sin. See, if you don't have, if you do not have an assurance that Christ did it for you, his work was done on the cross, you brought nothing to the table, if you don't have that assurance, you won't repent well because it's tied into who you think you are. But if you know that, man, listen, Jesus did it all. He died for me. There's nothing I'm bringing. It was his work, not mine. It was his moral effort, not mine. I am totally one in him because of what he did. Then I can repent well, and I can tell you I'm sorry. I'll act like a jerk because that won't touch my identity in Christ. So if you have a hard time repenting, if you have a hard time saying I'm sorry, it's because your identity is connected in who you think you are, not who Christ thinks you are. Because repenting doesn't change it if you're a Christian. It just brings you closer into intimacy with Jesus. I don't want to get sidetracked too much. I want to close. Three, verbalize. Go and discuss the issues. Don't pretend it doesn't exist. Don't talk 
smack behind their back, overlook minor offenses, yes, but go and talk directly with the person. They, they didn't go around and say, all right, this half the church come with me, this half the church. They, they went to the other person, and you know, at some times, some places, we talked all we can. Let's talk it out. Let's go to the person. Let's work it out. Sometimes we need help. We get other people to help us, but sometimes it's time to go. We've done all we can. I love you. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Let me bless you. Go on your way. That's how we, that's how we should respond. But remember, ultimately remember the gospel of reconciliation as we deal with this and we come to a close. The gospel tells us, now listen, one more minute. The gospel tells us that while we were an enemy of God, while we were outside Christ, we were an enemy of God, we are hostile toward him. In fact, he is our enemy and he is hostile toward us because of our sin. Yet, in his love, he came to us, he loved us, he reconciled us to himself in the work of Jesus. We did not earn it, we don't deserve it, it was out of grace alone that we are saved. So when we deal with conflict, disagreements and differences of personalities, methods and perspectives, times to repent, let's always remember the gospel. Be kind to one another because in the gospel, God is kind to you. Be loving toward one another because in the gospel, God is loving to you. Forgive one another because in the gospel, God forgave you. Do not remain bitter towards others because in the gospel, God is not bitter toward you. Sometimes we have to agree to disagree and go our separate ways. But remember the gospel. Live life in the gospel. Live on mission. Work out conflict to the best of your ability for his glory, your transformation, and then the outward proclamation of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we see these two godly men have a sharp disagreement. Lord, we see in your word that after Genesis 3, sin enters the world, social, economic, spiritual, physical unraveling takes place. We live in a broken world. We recognize that. But Father, in the gospel, we are redeemed. We are reconciled. In the gospel, we are renewed. Father, we pray that in our relationships we may live in a way that promotes and brings you much glory. That we recognize that when conflicts come, our first priority is to seek your face so that you would be seen as the greatest treasure of our life. That's hard. Holy Spirit, help us to do that. Father, we pray that whether it's personalities or methods, Lord, we pray that when we disagree, we would do it in a way that's honorable, that's loving, that's encouraging. And Lord, we pray that as we work through conflict, we would continue to live on mission, that we would not stop, but continue to work. The work that you have before us, not for our salvation, but because of our salvation, so that others will hear Christ all about him for his glory, our joy, in Jesus' name, amen.